0: Hello, welcome back to Fair Talks podcast. My name is Miguel Ballester, I'm design lead at Fairphone and I have a big heart for communicating about what we do here. And today we are going to be talking about uh, batteries and how batteries sometimes end up in the wrong place and what we have to do to bring them back to the right place for uh, proper recycling. Um, Today is a story about uh, managing complexity and it's a story about bureaucracy and it's a story of ultimately being able to uh, recover very important materials uh, back from uh, smartphones. Uh, We have very special guests. I will introduce them to you in a second. So just relax, uh, sit back and listen. Thank you. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, Let's start with some introductions. So I have here Joost and Reinhardt. Joost, uh, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into closing the loop.
1: Thanks, I'll definitely do that. Good to see you again. Good to be back here. I just remembered actually, it was, I think, 2013 that we first met uh, when Fairphone just started. Uh, For us, we had just, I think, begun a year before that. Um, um, So my name is Joost de Kluiver, I started a company called Closing the Loop and we try to close the loop for phones and other electronics. Um, I'm a bit of a commercial guy so sometimes having some some discussions with the real green people out there Um, we offer a sustainable service that is a commercial service for electronics and uh, the uh, thing that we do is we serve companies that would like to get started on sustainability or circularity for their gadgets, um, I studied uh, business studies, so you know that's what I do: sell stuff and make money. Uh, but I'm happy to do that actually now in combination with something I really like to do, that is make tech a little bit more green.
0: Great! You'll tell us more about that later, I think, Reinhardt. What was your journey up to here?
2: Uh, my journey is not necessarily as, as uh, uh, yeah linked to the industry as Joost is, actually. I'm, I'm from South Africa. I grew up in Ghana. And having a link to, to the African continent always was fascinating to me to see what, what developments happen there, what sort of issues are there. And one of these things that I worked on, one of the projects I worked on, had to do with electronic waste, which was a bit unknown to me. And to try and find out more about this, I met Joost many years ago. And uh, yeah, <laughs> a couple of months later, I started working at Closing the Loop and realized that I don't actually want to work on e-waste, I want to work on business opportunities and sustainability and uh, using my experience in Africa, my experience with uh, project management just ended up, uh, yeah, as a, as a journey that took me to Closing the Loop five years ago, I believe, now.
0: Great, so can you, can you tell us a little bit more about Closing the Loop? Uh, a bit more, how does... Uh, one day of your life look uh, like in, in closing the loop? What are the stuff that you need to deal with every every day? Before we move into the project and, and the topic of today.
1: Great, yeah, sure. Um, so we're just actually a normal company. Uh, the only thing that we did a little bit differently is that we invented a service ourselves. Um, the service is called waste compensation uh, and it allows users of electronics, but also sellers like you guys, producers, Uh, to engage in a closed-loop approach for electronics. So selling one device here in Europe, in the Netherlands, uh, could lead to the collection of a scrap device in an emerging market, where electronic waste currently is not being collected. Uh, And that is actually something that we turned into a service. We call it waste compensation or sometimes also referred to as one-for-one. Buy a new device and we'll compensate that device, make it waste-free, by collecting one in, for example, Ghana or Nigeria. Um, And that actually is a result of some of the business I was doing prior to this. Prior to this, I was selling devices in the African continent. um, And I saw that mobile phones are really, really cool products. Uh, I'm quite sure you'll agree with me on that one. (laughs) Um, But they have a few side effects. uh, And one I wasn't familiar with, I learned that the hard way. uh, In Agboblosi, near Accra, where electronics end up at end of life, um, and that turned out to be a place that you know I think really shows that electronics has some improvements ahead. Uh, one of them being electronic waste that is currently in majority not being recycled, um, and I found out that there is a lot of visibility to that uh, uh, onto that topic, uh, but it's mainly negative visibility it's a problem, it's these guys' fault, you as a consumer, it's all your fault. Well, you know, maybe it's to some extent true, but I didn't really see that changing the industry. So I got started in a very pragmatic way, also an element that I was seeing you know, t- too little of in the e-waste industry, a very pragmatic way, but also a very positive way. Not so much focusing on the problem, but seeing what we can actually do. And we have a very simple approach. We pay people to collect electronic waste in a safe environmental way, making sure that we create jobs and income locally. And then we turn that waste into materials that can of course be used for a variety of purposes. So that's something we've been doing now for many years. And I'm really happy to see um, that relationship that we had with you already so many years ago, still going strong and actually expanding to a lot of other fields great and uh and 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 you say like uh so
0: it's not being collected today or or like you that's one of the things that that you are doing and i know reinhardt is is very much into this uh, also operational side of the of the organization can you before we get into batteries because today we're going to talk a lot about batteries can you explain a little bit like maybe what are the challenges or what are you doing as closing the loop to to collect more eh? to to turn this into really an opportunity and and be able to to get those devices back into into recycling
2: yeah sure Um, opportunity is the right word i think if you asked earlier as well what 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 do i do all day and the 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 coolest thing i do is i I have direct contact with multiple partners in multiple countries in africa Um, it's an opportunity for us to work with them but it's also an opportunity for people in in africa to get connected to something that has a, a bigger meaning behind it a more sustainable business solution we work with local partners these local partners are from the countries where they work they know the environment they know the business uh, over there and so they're able to build networks that can collect these devices they're able to pay people for this they're able to earn money by themselves and that's got to be the coolest part of, of my work, that, that I, there's a lot of contact with them. Of course, the world we have here, the problems we have here are, are very different from what the experience is in other cultures. Um, and bridging that gap between what we try to do here and what we're trying to do there with these partners is, is basically how we manage to to collect. Uh, definitely, at Fairphone, if
0: one thing we learned uh, when we've been in, in Ghana, for example, is like when a mobile phone there gets dumped is really when there's nothing else you can do with that mobile phone, right? Like it gets repaired so many times and in so many ways until it gets... uh, So in a way, that's also resource efficiency, but we need to get that extra step to to get it recycled. So for a number of years, you've been um, collecting mostly phones, if I say, but there was always one thing that you were not able to ship, right? Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, indeed, it's the uh, you could say the elephant in the room back then. The the batteries uh, shipping shipping waste is complicated. Uh, we can do seventeen podcasts about how yeah. how complicated it is to ship waste, um, and this is waste that might not be hazardous. Um, lithium-ion batteries, the batteries within a phone, uh, is is known to be a problem, even in new phones, and so that was always a challenge. How do we Transport. How do we manage this one most hazardous part of the mobile phones? So once we once we had the experience and we knew kind of the basics of how 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 it works with waste, how it works with the informal sector collecting and everything, we thought it's the next step is to do the batteries, um, and that's 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 when the fun started.
0: And just maybe one step back, just for the audience to understand a little bit more, uh, you say it's complex to sh- uh, to ship waste. Uh, can you explain a little bit more behind there, like w- what is complex about it? And, and
2: yeah, the complexity actually started uh, historically as thirty years ago. There was a history of of countries dumping their waste in less developed countries. Um, to stop this, uh, an international convention was started called the Basel, Basel Convention, and this managed basically most countries to stop sending their waste to cheaper countries to, to dispose of them. Uh, that worked really well. The problem is that now the economy has turned around. Now the exact same convention that's stopping the waste going towards countries that cannot recycle, it's actually stopping waste going from countries that cannot recycle to countries that can. Right. So that, 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 that's the convention and that's actually the, the, the hurdle many uh, people that deal with waste shipments, not only electronics, have to deal with. Yeah,
0: because maybe one thing that that I like to highlight is that uh, like that waste that is now being generated in those countries that, that don't have the resources for recycling, A lot of people miss the point that actually these are, as you were saying, just emerging economies. So they also have mid-class that are consuming a lot of products. So a lot of this waste is also generated just by the internal consumption of these countries, but still don't have the right uh, recycling infrastructures.
1: Lovely. Uh, Maybe just to add, um, how I try to explain what the complexity of electronic waste management is in these countries, is that you need an ecosystem and everything is missing. In a country like, um, for example, Cameroon, you don't have legislation, you don't have consumer awareness, no infrastructure. And as a result, you don't have a business model. So you need to start really from scratch. Um, and what we try to do as a sustainability industry is start from scratch and then offer a European approach, which is creating legislation, uh, trying to uh, promote some consumer awareness, Uh, but actually the key thing that's missing is people making money from doing it the right way the only thing that's happening now is people making money by collecting electronic waste and then well treating it the wrong way Mm -hmm. uh, which includes uh, burning which includes mixing with chemicals in a very unsafe and environmental way so the starting point from our point of view was first just collect and then hopefully at some point combine our efforts to the more strategic framework based solutions such as legislation, consumer awareness, NGO activity. But you need both uh, and we're really on the first phase, if you will.
0: Right. So you are offering a solution today, let's say, you know, like an, in, in being able to ship um, out of those countries into, into economies where they can process that, uh, that waste. Uh, okay, let's get back into batteries then. Uh, so then you had this challenge like batteries were. So you explained about the Basel Convention. Um, can you explain now like the extra complexity of batteries in particular?
2: Uh, basic, basically the extra complex, uh, complexity from the batteries comes from how batteries work. Batteries, batteries. I can't explain exactly how they work, but they are combustible simply simply that point makes it complicated Um, a battery dumped in water can actually explode so this creates a certain problem when you're storing them when you're collecting them when you're shipping them and this problem goes goes beyond simply the work you do in africa It, it goes towards the shipping companies many shipping companies won't allow it because of this complexity so that's that's one part of it. The second part is what we mentioned earlier, no one else has done this. So as soon as you start talking about this, people get shocked, people get surprised, and some of them get scared and run away and don't want to work
1: with you.
0: <laughs> because you're dealing with batteries. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, that's even a, a challenge in, in Europe, and uh, you know, batteries are globally challenging, uh, but in emerging markets, you also have the, let's say, local challenging environment of people uh, treating these waste streams in a less uh, let's say professional way so having a a product that is known to be a challenging uh, waste stream and then uh, in a a challenging environment such as an African country irregulated uh, and sometimes uh, um, you know dominated by uh, waste pickers that not per se know how to treat that waste that is a dangerous situation potentially
0: yeah yeah then you saw actually not a problem but an opportunity right like those batteries full of cobalt and materials that can be recycled um can you tell us because together with uh, this podcast and and some other communication we are also well you guys are preparing like a, a white paper as well that will explain a little bit more about the like the the deeper challenges of uh, shipping those batteries maybe you can mention some of them or maybe take us through the creation of the project right like you see this opportunity then you think like hey we've always wanted to do this how did you get along uh, about it
2: well the first step was finding batteries and, and, uh, and and buying them so we always got a little bit of batteries when we got the phones and we tried to store them as safe as we could and when we realized okay we want to do this project we're going to start with this pilot we said let's collect more batteries and we started asking the same suppliers of the phones can you bring us batteries the first challenge was that no one has ever asked this before. So they didn't know where to source these batteries from. There was there was quite a quite a challenge in getting the collection started in the beginning simply because a market didn't exist.
0: So most of the phones that would get to you or like through the local partners that you were working with would already be without batteries?
2: That's correct. Yeah. A lot of the batteries are removed. Uh, Josh was talking about the repair economy in Africa earlier. If a battery still has some power, you tape it together with another one. You can power your house lights with it, you know, yeah, for example. Yeah. So, yeah, the batteries would, would not get to us normally.
0: Yeah. And what would happen with them?
2: Yeah. So when once we started collecting and we, we, we started creating a market, we got more and more batteries, we, we actually realized that there were people who were collecting batteries and storing them, for example, in their sheds. There were two suppliers we found that had, I think one of them had about 200 kilograms of batteries in a shed in bags. just waiting dis- just waiting for the well, opportunity <laughs> you could say waiting for an opportunity that someone would buy them but i was my my first thought was waiting for disaster to happen disaster. too many together exactly 200 kilograms of lithium-ion batteries can Used. be disastrous so uh, we of course we bought those batteries and, and we formed a relationship with with this person but also with other collectors to make sure that we do this in a better way that we collect smaller batches from or that he stores smaller batches that we explain how you handle them safely um, yeah, this this was basically the first step that educating these collectors about what it is they actually storing.
0: Mm-hmm. So you became the 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 battery guys, like uh, that people could come and uh, sell their batteries.
2: Exactly. Yeah, we got uh, at some point we became. Yeah, the the people knew how to find us. They they found our local partner through various means, and, and it was quite surprising to see how communication can travel and how people can realize that there is someone collecting these batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean uh, Reinhard was already
1: the crazy uh, uh, white guy uh, buying waste so I think this was a good uh, next step now he's also buying uh, dangerous uh, chemical waste Uh, but um, yeah I think the key thing that we are showing locally is that indeed um, there is an opportunity to recycle this waste which is something that a lot of people of course don't know Um, and I think as a next step uh, and that's something that we're you know, engaging with the industry uh, on, of course, as well. Is showing that urban mines or you know, waste turning into materials, uh, urban mine materials are of course the great uh, type of materials for the future. We can source materials uh, from mines and fund conflicts and um, you know pollute local uh, sites, uh, but you could also extract materials from waste, and with that actually reducing waste and creating income, etc. So. Mm. Uh, that's a solution we believe a little bit more yeah. strongly in.
0: Great. And I think it's pretty interesting that you actually created this market, right? Like uh, like that people would come to you. Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, not necessarily about the amount, but how this incentive, this economic incentive worked? Like I can imagine in the beginning was different than later because you had to try out what you were going to pay to people to bring batteries or how how did that Go because I can imagine you got to a point where it was you were getting more uh, more batches or the volume you were expecting, but I cannot imagine it was easy from the beginning.
2: no exactly. We had learned quite long in the past already that that for the material value of the the metals that you could recover that would not be a good indicator on what you can actually pay for for, for the batteries. For example, the cobalt would not be worth enough to, to collect them. So the method we had to use is what is the incentive people needed to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a combination of making people uh, feel oh, this is worth my time to get this amount of money to go and find batteries. Uh, but on top of that, this company is asking me to use safety equipment, to to store it in a good way, to deliver it multiple times a week of course money and that costs extra money so by by gradually increasing the the requirements and the amount that we buy we were able to find basically a stable price where we realized this is this is a price where we know how many batteries we're getting that we're getting it consistently and that the people we work with feel comfortable with the relationship
0: and uh, you mentioned it you you called it a Pilot in the beginning because it's the first time you do it. But just for for our uh, for our listeners, can you size this pilot because it's not that you source like hundred kilos of batteries. It's pretty it's pretty big actually.
2: Eventually, we we shipped five thousand kilograms of batteries, which was uh, an, basically a container full of batteries. Yeah.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about that, like from collection to to actually ship, shipping it?
2: Yeah. So that that. It's quite a complicated process, but we started with, once we had enough batteries... Read the white paper. <laughs> exactly. Read the white paper if you want to know the full details. But the, the complication indeed comes, comes with the shipping and the storing. So 5,000 kilograms of, of batteries takes up a lot of space, but it's also potentially um, yeah quite a, quite a hazard, if you, if you remember what I said about only 200 kilograms. So we had to ensure that we store things according to international regulations. Um, they have to go in barrels filled with sand. Yeah, the sand detail is pretty interesting. Can you yeah, tell so, me more about that? So the, the, yeah, so they get stored in sand for safety because sand enables the, the liquids to not touch each other. Now, that would not be a problem in, a, in a, quite a dry country, but when you're in a country like Nigeria with humidity above 70-80%, the sand itself is wet. So then it becomes a conductor instead of actually an insulator. So even that became a challenge to lay the sand in the sun to get it dry, to then use in the drums uh, for the batteries. And and this this th- this is one example. Uh, we once once you have them in the drums and sealed, they have to be shipped. Labeling is very important. So we only f- figured out quite close to the end that the labels you need are not available in Nigeria. So believe it or not, we had to print labels in Europe and ship them with DHL to uh, to Nigeria to get these drums labeled. It's Complications like this that. That first of all we had not foreseen, but also that the the people we worked with in Nigeria had also could not, not. understand. Even. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. You can imagine asking for the first time to a shipping company, would you like to ship some spoiled batteries out of you know one of the most let's be honest corrupt countries in the world, um, uh, which are completely end of life, uh, perhaps also to some extent swollen, um, and then uh, they should go to Europe uh, in a you know trip of. Um, four weeks, um, yeah, there were not a lot of shipping companies that were eager to take on uh, those end-of-life
2: batteries. And this is actually quite a challenge because not only batteries, but any, any waste that has to go over, go through this Basel convention I talked about, mm. there's actually a surprisingly few companies in the world that are willing to ship it. Many companies have taken the policy not to do this, which is very harmful for, for being able to have a sustainable future. So mm. we luckily found an organization, a company that would do this. And um, after going through their compliance session, they, they were able to ship it for us. Yeah. And can you can you tell a little bit more also about the
0: about the partners that you had? I mean, Fairphone was one of them, but I know there were other partners also for this project. Maybe a good moment to to mention them and how you collaborated. Because, like you mentioned, also that you had to write, find the right price, and then everything costs money.
1: Can you explain a little bit more
0: about the about the business case and and the collaboration that that you had with other parties?
1: yeah sure. I mean the, the basic model that we have is that we collect electronic waste on behalf of customers. So a key um, party in, in any activity that, it, that we have is that we collect those that waste uh, so that it delivers on the needs of some of our customers or partners. So in, in your case it's it's a very clear link um, uh, a bit less perhaps clear but um, you know considering what we do for for our customers, Uh, understandable was that we also collected uh, end-of-life batteries for the Dutch government um, who we compensate their uh, phones for again meaning that when they buy a new device new mobile phone we collect a scrap device to compensate that device Uh, and now we are actually adding also battery collection uh, making the, the phone that they're buying not only waste-free from the, let's say, uh, um, uh, phone perspective, but also from the battery perspective. Uh, so that was uh, an important partner for part us to include uh, our our first compensation customer for batteries, uh, um, which wasn't an organization like yours, so I'm really happy to see that happening. But next to that, of course, a lot of organizations uh, helped us uh, to collect uh, we teamed up with uh, local governments, uh, Nigerian EPA, for example, if I'm correct, um, Customs, uh, you know, also here in Europe. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm not sure if I'm missing anyone there. Uh, but you know the key thing for us is that we have a solution that is commercially sound. We can spend a lot of money on just collecting waste and then just go bankrupt, which is you know also an opportunity. Uh, but I think the way to do this for a long term is creating a business model, uh, and so we're really thankful mainly for partners and customers. Yeah. So so in addition to the partners
2: that make the business model possible, we of course need partners that make the collection, the storage, the shipping possible, and. There are three partners that I have to mention that we worked with. The first is of course the local environmental enforcement agency. The second is, Uh, or the second two actually are two local companies Hinkley Recycling which is a local recycling firm that really takes care of making sure the storage is safe making sure that people do the sorting of the batteries that's necessary the packaging all of that and the second one is a company called Verde Impacto and that is our link to the informal sector Mm -hmm. this is a young Nigerian entrepreneur who really manages to get into the informal sector get collectors all over the country that are able to follow our instructions and follow our safety regulations and bring the batteries and without local partners like these uh, yeah these pilots and these projects and actually our whole business wouldn't be possible
0: great so uh back to the journey so we have a, a container full of batteries and you have a shipping company what's next
2: yeah so next is paperwork um we can do another 17 <laughs> podcast uh, about the paperwork so the challenge is in the summarize now yeah exactly so now the 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 challenge with, with, with shipping batteries is actually similar to challenge of many shipments that you do. It doesn't necessarily have to be waste and you go through certain processes. There's this tax obligations. There's uh, certificates proving what, is, what it is that you're shipping. This is perfectly normal. The, the problem is that the, our cargo isn't normal. So if you look at a country like Nigeria, they usually export fruits and vegetables or coal. That's worth money. And you're paying a shipping company and then you're selling it and then you earn money on this. So this is, this is how the Environment Customs, the, the Central Bank of Nigeria, all these organizations, this is what they're used to. We paid a lot of money to ship a container that isn't worth anything. So this raised- <laughs> Or very
0: little, right? Yeah.
2: Or very little, yes, worth, com- comparatively not worth anything. <laughs> so this raised red flags in in various organizations that that suspected fraud that realized this is not thought this is not possible why are you spending so much money to ship something that's not even close to the value of the shipping cost and and of course that that requires documentation to prove what you're doing it requires education of the various um the uh, organizations and partners that you work with uh, and that costs time and and that's actually one of the One of the things that we realized the most is we thought we would do this pilot we would collect the batteries put them in a container and ship them yeah the and ship them part actually i think it took at least 16 weeks longer simply because of all the documentation Mm -hmm. that was needed
0: yeah and and you were kind of creating processes along the way right like uh Probably most of the people you were working with had never done this before, right?
2: Yeah, this is true. This um, your, What you just mentioned that a lot of the infrastructure or the legislation or enforcement is missing in countries like this. I, I sometimes see it as a gap between where they are now and where they want to get, which is maybe similar to what we do here, which is maybe an industry funded system. That gap is so big that over the years, that everybody's been trying to figure out how to get to that gap, but there's no, there's not been any practical implementation of a small step to get there. Mm. Uh, what we were able to do, because we were working with all these different organizations, from the local environmental enforcement agency to customs to the bank, we were able to take these small steps and then to prove to those people who are trying to implement this consumer, this uh, producer organization we were able to provide them with information that that can move towards that ideal solution that we will hopefully one day get to. Yeah.
1: I think that's really a key word, right? Prove. Because uh, I think one thing that's uh, being done sometimes a little bit too often in the e-waste world is talk uh, and think and report uh, and maybe warn, as I mentioned earlier, Uh, but prove that something can be done and that you can motivate people to collect, that you can store, uh, that you can actually create a value chain from African countries to Europe uh, where we have that recycling capacity. We have a lot of factories in Europe that can turn scrap batteries into materials for car batteries or again, mobile phone batteries, uh, but that's just completely missing in Africa. So proving that that's possible, proving that it can be done safely. And most of all, that you can actually create a business model uh, that's really, I think, our biggest contribution to this discussion.
0: Yeah. And, and important to talk about it, right? Like so, through this podcast and uh, writing white papers or going to presentations and events to, to talk about this uh, uh, this proof uh, that you have created now.
2: Yeah, and important. Something important to add is that although we are about proving about doing it actively, it doesn't mean that we try to stay away from the development of legislation. Uh, it, it, it should be said that our collaboration with the local environmental enforcement agency was essential to make this possible because they 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 were truly helpful in getting this done um, it was for them also a new activity they've never they've never exported batteries before, but now they have that capacity to do it again and and whether we we export the next container or someone else at least that exists uh, that that knowledge and that experience exists
0: yeah okay continuing so the the ship is in the water is in the on in the sea uh, sailing to europe uh, Belgium i believe and uh and then what, then what happens with these batteries?
2: Well, um, yeah, first I was able to sleep for a while, finally. <laughs> <laughs> while the, ship, <laughs> while was, the uh, ship was on the, the sea, sea. Uh, yes. Um, now, but once the batteries ar- arrived, um, they, the recycler received them. And there was always this this nervous moment as well in terms of, w- will they be accepted? Will they be able to be recycled? There's various contractual obligations that have to be met, which we won't know if they're met until the batteries have been tested, yeah. um, and, and this, Unfortunately, this is quite intransparent. There's, there's a lot of information we are not able to get. Um, apart from, hopefully, at some point, yes, it's okay.
0: Like a green, yeah. Like a green
2: light. Like, and, yeah. and we did eventually get that a couple of weeks later. Uh, testing takes also surprisingly long. Um, I don't understand the cons- the, the pros- principles enough to, to know why. But at some point, we, we got the information. Yes, the batteries are fine and, and they are being accepted. And, and we will pay you for the cobalt that was in there, um, which... You know, it was a nice little cherry on top, but the idea was, yes, we have proven they can be recycled uh, by a well-known recycler. Yeah.
0: Great. Um, and then this Cobalt comes into the secondary materials market and hopefully gets into new batteries. Yes. Right. Yes, so you yeah. have
2: closed the loop. Hopefully, hopefully, one day we will know exactly where that cobalt goes. At the moment, we know they're being, it's being sold on the market and we know that, uh, we know where cobalt goes, what, what industries use them. So the chances are very high they're used in batteries. But one day we want to be able to trace that and, and hopefully use them perhaps in fairphone batteries. Yeah, exactly.
0: So we, we did look into it. We did look into it. So tell me, guys, how, how uh, is this, like, this current approach that you are having uh, ties into a more long-term uh, solution or, or opportunity
1: yeah great um, well I think you know the um, approach that we have is sometimes also described as a global EPR extended producer responsibility which means you sell a device uh, in your market and then you have responsibility also to collect a device uh, which is you know uh, something that has been around in Europe for, for quite some years um, the key thing that we feel is missing is that those concept EPRs are national or even regional, uh, meaning that you know if you sell phones or other products in the Netherlands, uh, then the funding through uh, EPR schemes is only to be used in the Netherlands. And batteries, and comparable to all of other electronic uh, uh, parts of the electronics industry, don't stay in the Netherlands. So we feel that a global implementation of uh, EPR would make a lot more sense of course, also not per se to just you know create more compliance and red tape. It also, I think, is a, a better suited solution for a global industry. Um, and that would mean that you don't just fund waste collection in your own country, uh, but you fund waste collection that is connected to your industry. You fund global waste mm-hmm. collection. Um, uh, maybe just to add uh, on the topic of, of um, you know, materials in batteries. They can be used to, of course, produce new mobile phone batteries. But I think if you look at the EU Green Deal uh, and actually a lot of effort currently within um, sustainability, uh, it's about storing uh, energy, right, mm-hmm. um, for you know, whatever purposes, but uh, increasingly also on the topic of electric car vehicles. So I think one of the cool things about turning um, scrap batteries in in Africa into um, materials is that these are not just materials. These are potentially the materials that will actually Um, power our future. So I think that really symbolizes um, the opportunity that electronic waste actually poses. It's not a problem. It's an opportunity, but we just need to treat it properly.
0: Definitely. And I think you you touch a point about the consumption of cobalt and how that is increasing. We will need kind of all sources of of cobalt possible. That's also why we have uh, launched the Fair Cobalt Alliance. So in that sense, we focus on virgin minerals and virgin material, but then working on health and safety of the miners and then at the same time Uh, supporting projects like this one, see where we can also implement these recycled uh, materials. I think we are going towards the end, but I want to take the opportunity also to zoom out a little bit or to look into the future. What is the future after this? Maybe the future for you, but also what would be the things you would like to see in the industry happening that would make your, your model more successful even?
2: I'll start from a practical perspective. I would prefer not to go through the shipping hassle. So the long-term future would be, of course, to be able to do more recycling, more processes locally and to do so safely and in a, in a good manner. So I definitely think there, there's a need for, for looking at the practical side of, for example, uh, doing the first step of treatment to these batteries locally so that you can ship them as non-hazardous materials. Mm. I think that's definitely one of the, one of the first steps. And the, the biggest imp- the most important thing to get there is to create a visible market for, for example, such a facility. And that's where the model comes in. We need to be able to prove that there's a certain supply of batteries if you want to be able to fund a battery recycler, something like that. So that's, that's exactly, that, that would be the longer term vision. And perhaps you can go into more how, how important that market is in order, in order to make such a local facility feasible.
1: Yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, um, uh, local recycling makes a lot of sense, uh, but it's also perfectly understandable why it's not facilitated at the moment. You need everything uh, that's currently not there to have a properly uh, um, and most of all financially sound uh, recycling facility up and running. You can build a plant, but if it doesn't make money, it will go away quite fast. So, yes, we are um, working on local recycling, uh, but the key thing to make sure that it actually Will be there for the long run is is to create that business model, um, and our view is that one of the best ways to create that opportunity is by showing <clears throat> that electronic waste is actually something we shouldn't be scared of, or you know uh, ignoring, or, or most of all uh, um, you know be um, just uh, considering only as a problem. As I mentioned earlier, um, it should be and can be something that the whole industry actually em- embraces. In the race towards circularity, using the end of life as a starting point, uh, but actually not so much just to become sustainable as an industry, uh, but to make um, circularity really a global topic, uh, because electronics do go to emerging markets. At end of life, they end up in the wrong places. But if we create a better solution, it means we all benefit. The whole society creates, uh, I think, a better. Um, um, uh, situation for us all, Uh, but most of all, we source our materials in a much more logical way than just trying to dig deeper and deeper. As you may hear for
0: the sound quality, this has been recorded uh, later, but that was a super interesting conversation that we had with um, Reinhard and Joost. Amazing work they are doing and we are so happy to be uh, working with them. As I said sound quality, a bit worse, we are back into working from home. So I'm recording this uh, in my room. I hope uh, you like the episodes. I hope uh, that uh, you share it around because I think it's a story that is worth to tell and worth to know by other people. And um, just stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.